Hi, I'm Maybelline's new Age Rewind Foundation that doubles as a time-traveling DeLorean. Condé Nasty. Hi, like the writing on AJ and the Queen, I also suffer from wild shifts in tone and occasional incoherence. It's Ursula the Sea Bitch. And this is Reading Drag Race, the show where we talk about whatever we want. But mostly RuPaul's Drag Race. But not today. Today we're talking about the witchy women of Sabrina. Or, I'm sorry, what is it? The New Adventures of Sabrina? The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. There we go. The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina. Um, I know that I uh, watched season three over a long period. I mean, not over. Over a couple weeks with my husband. And then I messaged Ursula and she very quickly uh, sprinted through both seasons two and three. And it was at my behest because season three was so gay. The show has decided to... So fucking gay. So gay. They've decided to unapologetic season three i mean it was always gay and it got a huge response from the gay community with season one but season three they were like we know who's watching we are catering to the gay male gays on multiple fronts yeah the the thing else so yeah i'd watched season one when it aired um so i i need, needed to watch the christmas special in the last two seasons and i think what got me just like not like it's not like i dislike the show but it just never bubbled up into my must watch list for a while uh because that list is just infinitely long nowadays um i think my biggest concern with season one is they really couldn't make a tone decision like they they couldn't decide are are witches actually evil and if so what is the appeal for sabrina because most other iterations of sabrina the teenage witch and really most other depictions of witches in pro-witch media generally are basically they're not evil they're just women who can do math like you know it's like they get together and drink and read it's like your aunt's book club as much as it is a coven so it's like and they didn't want to do that for season one they wanted to be like oh no no they eat people i'm like okay okay you just have to paint your goalposts a little more clearly there if you want me to care about her split decision and i think for seasons two and three they did a much better job of kind of painting uh like the way i described it to to condi nasty when i was texting during my two-day binge um was like uh, imagine if heaven and hell were like the u.s and russia during the cold war and you're like a moderately developed you know african or european state where it's like well i have to pick a side because sides have to be picked and some people will want one side for ideological reasons or you know naked self-interest uh some because their person they don't like is on the other side like like if it it made it feel a little more rational where it's just like oh this is just how these people decided to get power and safety in the middle of a battle much bigger than themselves so it made sabrina going back and forth a lot more credible for me yeah no i i agree with your assessment i do think that and I was I was sort of leaving you to, to say all that because I, I completely agree. I feel like other portrayals of witches, it's a lot more like witches aren't evil. They're this and that. And some are good and some are bad. And the balance. And we all exist in this gray space. And I feel like this show was like, we're campily evil. And we're going to say things like go to heaven or whatever. You know, just, just sort of ridiculously comedic one-dimensional sort of inverse of good and bad right we call then also like portraying like moral layers and i feel like it 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 was really inconsistent in its world and in like the moral logic that theoretically would exist within these characters and sometimes it's like no we are like we're just like we're evil and then other times it's not 
And I think it, I agree with you that it got better about balancing that in the subsequent seasons, but I nonetheless think that it just stopped bothering me so much, and I leaned in and embraced the camp. Like, yeah, yeah. I, they're still hot and cold on that in the world building. Also, the accent variance amongst the Spellmans <laughs> annoys the fucking shit out of me, but I like all of them as actors that I'm over it. It still bothers me, um, but I'm fine with it. Well, like, yeah, like, even, like, Aunt Hilt... Hilda is is the best because I think she actually does a great job of portraying like the lived experience where it's like Hilda's like whatever the satanic inversion of a Christmas and Easter Christian is. It's like, oh, well, you know, it's just we get together for dinner and we we go we go have a picnic and then we say some chants and then we go home. Like like it's like her family is so she is she's not a diehard as opposed to like Zelda's like orthodox like it that was they painted that a lot better in the in the two seasons but i i largely think what sells the show for me and what got me through um the uh into just unabashedly loving two and three was just miranda otto's zelda and uh what's her name melissa gomez's uh lilith those are drag queens mom yeah those are drag queens powerful bitches i love it sorry go on no i agree and it's it's funny because we, we, we were talking about this too where it's like uh we were having a conversation in another context about uh you know gay men not supporting gay men's art endeavors like like we won't watch a story about a gay man we will watch a st- like i this gay man told a story about a gay man and because it's not my experience he's not doing it right whereas like if that gay man wrote a story about a middle-aged woman wearing a fabulous trench coat looking into the middle distance thinking about her failing marriage all us bitches would fall out and I feel like I'm 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 playing into my own stereotype here, but I'm like, yes, powerful women with dark lipstick. Go on. <laughs> oh, oh, completely, completely. Um, I agree with you. So I thought when we would be doing this episode, I mean, we're going into the history of it. Um, yeah. Earlier, I was thinking we would just primarily turn the discussion to season three, partially because I don't remember season two that well. But we can talk about the whole show if you want. Yeah, no, uh, but getting down to Brass Tack, season three really did just rip the band-aid on the show being unapologetically for the gay male gaze. Like, it's something that happened in Riverdale, too. There there was a scene in the first season of Riverdale um, where the uh, Betty and Veronica are trying to get revenge on this football player who did something bad. I forget what it was. So they decide to seduce him. Betty is wearing a two-piece bathing suit that has the fullest, most supportive bra I have ever seen. I have seen women at track meets wearing a skimpier top than this woman is wearing, and Veronica is literally wearing a one-piece with a sarong. I'm like, you are practically... You you said, let's seduce a man. You're dressed essentially from neck to knees, looking like old Hollywood film stars. And then in the very next scene, Archie's having a nightmare in which he is like writhing about on his bed, sweatily in boxer briefs. I'm like, I've never seen this before where only men's bodies are to be objectified. And it's very, what's his name? Roberto Aguirre Sacasa, I think is his name. Like, I'm like, okay. yep, that's what's going on here. That Like there was a scene in which Nick, shows up in Sabrina's bedroom wearing a vertically striped mesh top and Sabrina is wearing 1950s men's pajamas. Unironically. Yep. 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 No, he's dressing like a gay, like, 
club kid from the 90s who wears like semi-transparent tops while dancing at the club and eventually takes them off like that's his like bad boy we're going out that and like the eyeliner you know i feel like i'm somewhere in 1997 in that in that scene no i i know exactly what you're talking (laughs) about um and i agree i agree season three was unapologetically like and i i kind of love the fabulous powerful women who are like attractive and stylized but not sexualized in a way that is supposed to be objectified and like as gay men we like love and identify with those characters i love the miranda auto wig uh (laughs) i love it um but then but then all of the male characters are stunningly gorgeous always coated in a fresh coat of baby oil luminous luminous the women are like powder dry fresh powder they've got ac and like all of the male actors cannot go on screen unless somebody has lubed them head to toe Closed or not. Yeah. They're just dewy like they just fucked you. I loved Caliban. All of the time. Yeah. Caliban's like shirtless routine was like ridiculous on its own. But then when he shows up in Greendale in like that 70s yellow t-shirt, French tucked into the jeans. I'm like, my my literal text to Condi Nasty was, he's like the talky part of every gay for pay porn I've ever seen compressed into a character. Like yeah, I, can, yeah, yeah, no. I, I can hear him say the words "It's cool, bro." Before continuing the hand job, like it's just, it's amazing. <laughs> I I agree. Um, so I love that we got right into the like. So as a gay man, haha. Um, so what what do you think of sort of the? Oh, the other thing I love, gay male gays, is the like we're gonna make uh Sabrina and oh my god, what is her name? The the friend who was blind. Uh, Roz. Roz. We're going to make Sabrina and Roz, like, a little perkier this season. Roz has some new life now that she's not blind. We're going to have them join the cheerleading squad in a way that feels incongruent with the characters we otherwise created them as so that we can have choreographed lip sync cheer routines for the gays. Yeah. As these, like, breaking through the fourth wall interstitial <laughs> moments this season. I'm like, yes, queen. My husband, anytime it was one of those. Like, he loves this show. He loves how campy it is. He is a much bigger fa- fan of camp than I am. And he sees, like, camp joy and brilliance in a lot of things that I think I miss. Um, anytime a cheer routine was coming on, it was like, why are you, why are you talking to me? Why are you? Like, (laughs) this is... I am living for this moment Oh my god! You cannot interrupt me. This isn't a male gaze moment, but it is a moment for this male gay. Hilda and Dr. C doing duets from Sweeney Todd. I'm like, this is... this this. I have this dream all the time. Just... No, they, they were marketing very clearly to me with this season, and boy, did they succeed. I'm glad that you took my recommendation and and agree with my (laughs) assessment. Stepping back, I love the weird circus cliche, like, that's slightly creepy. That was, like, an overarching villain's plot for this season. I know it's a cliche, but it's a fun cliche for a reason. I thought it was really fun and interesting that they introduced these, like, ostensibly gypsy pagan wanderers from, like, a faith before, uh, you know judeo-christian tradition that the spellmans theoretically would be the inverse of as they are followers of lucifer so to speak uh 
I thought I thought that was a really interesting take and that they would have some sort of mystical powers and it's this sort of third party outlier from the traditional like Judeo-Christian good and evil that is like the religious subtext in the back. I also like that they like cast only olive-skinned people with heavy eyelids a la my my Hungarian husband and I was like it's your people. He he did not appreciate that but also he knew it. <laughs> I was right. Um it was interesting that they even had like a weird ethnocentric look to the casting. Um, what did you think of that whole that whole subplot? Uh, I wanted it to go. I wanted it a little better developed, and maybe it was also just the the kind of too neat way they solved the problem in the end. But it was like for all this build up, they weren't that threatening. Like had they had marginally better security practices in place the whole time, you wouldn't even needed the the time loop shit. Uh, Maybe it's because the green man didn't have, like, like there was nothing as big in their tradition that would latch onto my brain, so it never felt, like, co-equal. They were, I enjoyed individual scenes with them, but as a villain, I, they didn't quite do it for me. But they, it was still fun to watch. Like, I'm not, okay. I wasn't mad. I just wasn't, like, I get what they were going for, but I didn't think it quite landed. Okay. As somebody who loves uh, a man with the heavy eyelids of an Art Nouveau of a woman in an Art Nouveau painting, who has olive skinned and a accent that tells me he is from Europa, um, I enjoyed <laughs> I enjoyed the Ringmaster vibes. Um, obviously, um, I I yeah uh, I, I've married somebody with that kind of look, so obviously that does something for me. Um, I really loved the idea of them bringing in these sort of like ancient characters medusa etc um i wish it was a little more like there's the judeo christian good and evil and were like this balancing like neither good nor bad third party entity of like ancient gods from before the time of judeo christian traditions like i wish it was a little more like there was nuance to them and they were neither evil nor bad before like whatever subtext made them like bad and wanting to kill the coven um i felt like they went too big bad really quickly and i wish they took a little more time because because there could have been a lot more seductive fun with that um i could have seen zelda sleeping with the ringmaster as like a little bit of a liberation post-marriage post-terrible marriage season two um but i i really enjoyed the subplot i i do wish they did more with it but i thought it was really well acted for what it was and it was it was fun and it provided a lot of space for a lot of fun campy ridiculousness Uh, agreed (laughs) um yeah uh what else oh speaking of uh zelda's terrible marriage when he stepford wifed her i was so angry i literally texted you to tell you how angry i was <laughs> you did you did i the whole time so going back to our original but witches narratives are usually like this i felt like so much of season one i was watching and waiting for zelda to not just be a appearance obsessed essentially emotionally abusive tyrannical like totalitarian matriarch of the family who was so concerned with appearances she was on the other side of both her niece and sister often 
Like, the the witches didn't come together to be on the same team in any substantive way until after the Stepford Wife situation. Um, and to be honest, my feeling was I like the show a lot more once Zelda um, was... Oh my god, I forgot her husband's oh, name. Faustus. Uh, yeah, once she, once she was like, uh, you know, Father Faustus is a terrible person um, after that spell. But I felt like it took way too much to get her there and then she kind of snapped into that i thought it was a really fun subplot though to have her be like oh i'm in this spell where i'm like this agreeable stepford wife but i'm completely conscious and aware of it the oh, no, whole it was time a, but yeah, i am it's under a good this. plot and it was well done i was also just mad on her behalf i'm like oh how dare you how dare you do that to miranda otto she deserves better um i i like what i like third season is i think they do a much better job of painting her and sabrina as more cut from the same cloth like they're they're like she criticizes sabrina for being headstrong but it's only because she's inexperienced not because she doesn't lo- like it was like you know ambition's good to a point like i like i i like that that made it more like you see where sabrina gets it from i agree i for me it took yeah. too long like i think i think there were a lot of episodes where it was like oh so aunt zelda's like a terrible person right who is not contextualizing this enough and not, like, getting on Team Spellman enough. And I felt like after the Stepford Wife moment, she that changed. And while she's still, like, concerned with appearances and whatever, I feel like the quote-unquote coven of the Spellmans finally came together after that. And you get things like that. Like, where you see where it comes from, this strongheadedness. And I felt like... I like it so much more now that they're like they feel like family yeah, in a well, real it, way. It was like in season way. one there was the, the the recurring gag of killing Hilda to resurrect her in the cane pit, and it's like that just doesn't jive with you know her like teary speeches about how I couldn't do this without my sister. You have to pick one, and then they pick the right one. I agree. I agree. Um, yeah, and then uh, I thought the child killer plot was unsettling but very well played with a man with a disturbingly creepy smile (laughs) Um, and I thought it was fun that in all of this moral gray he was the person that she was like fine oh yeah yeah I'll I'll torture him it's fine what did you think of the contest for queen of hell Eh, it was fine it's it's one of those you know it it never matters what the items are because that's not the point they did a good job of making Caliban be a jerk the image of King Herod covered in maple syrup was weird just straight weird I didn't understand why she took the silver back to Judas as opposed to back to the throne room, but that's a plot quibble that need not be overexplored. I did like her court. The inverse coronation of Elizabeth I was amazing. I'm. It reminded me of yours. <laughs> I was also wearing lead-based makeup. Um, I suffer from my art. Uh, just it was so good like at first i thought okay she's wearing like this black dress okay it's cute and they're like no 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 oh no they did the whole thing they they were they're like this is for the gays we're gonna keep <laughs> doing if this was for straight people you'd get like a total of 15 seconds of her putting stuff on they dragged that out so long they wanted us to see the makeup changing the undergarments they were like they wanted us to be like gag and I was gagged oh, every yeah. minute of it. Like, they know their audience. Like, that's the kind of thing where straight people would be like, are you kidding me? Still with this? Aren't we just going to get to the coronation? And they wouldn't notice the details. All we notice is the details. <laughs> and 
and I loved him. Oh yeah, it was amazing. I'm like, I'm sure, I'm sure poor Kiernan Shipka has like permanent back problems because of that outfit right now. Just uh, amazing. Yeah, no, suffer for your art, honey. That that was that was fabulous. I do feel like, um, and this is not really a complaint. I do feel like they kept kind of escalating, and then there's this problem, and then there's this problem, and then there's this problem, and it was eventually like. I'm so glad you guys made sure you would have enough, like, conflict and tension that she, like, had to go take care of this and had to go take care of that. And there's a threat at her high school. But this season it was definitely like, ooh, she's got, like, one too many things on her plate that she's balancing with all these subplots right now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Which is fine. I mean, it's better than, like, them trying... I hate when shows come up with one thing and they try to dramatize it and they have dead time and they're like, let's talk about this one conflict. Like, when when you can see the show reach a point where they realize the main conflict of the season is not enough and they have to come up with filler connected to it and it just doesn't work. Instead, they gave her more problems that were manageable for the episode arc, which meant they had to, like, consolidate, which I actually think, at least as a viewer, is a yeah, lot Yeah, for whatever my complaints about the circus folk plot, it didn't take up so much screen time that I was like, ugh, this again? Like... Yeah, yeah. No, I actually, it made me think about, like, when when shows that have, like, because I feel like nowadays there are lots of, like, dramedies or wherever where they're like, we're going to try to come up with, like, a season-long arc conflict situation, but then, like, individual episodes will address interpersonal relationships or small conflicts or threats that come up along the way, and I felt like this season was just, like, lots of problems. Let's just, like, deal with it. And in a weird way, I, I would normally think, flooding it would create more problems than it was worth but strangely for this season it was like oh good never a dull moment yeah also i think um i think kiernan shipka is a good actress she was very good on mad men i think she she definitely has a handle on like quiet naturalistic human interactions like put her in a room with january jones and have them not talk to each other you're gonna get a good scene I feel she isn't quite, and she's gotten better, but I feel she's not quite up to the abilities of like Miranda Otto or uh, Melissa Gomez to just effortlessly serve this like archness. Like when, what, what was her, was Zelda's line? Oh, I detest teen angst. She knew exactly how much mustard to put on that line to make it sing. And I feel like Kiernan Shipka can't, like, she doesn't have a good, uh, like drag shouty voice yet and putting her in the middle of a thousand problems kind of kept her just reacting to things rather than like she got to just be surrounded by things rather than having to like anchor the room like every time they had her in hell trying to be like and this is what we are going to do i'm like ooh, that is not the dialogue you give her not at this point um so just having her constantly have to give reaction shots to the chaos kind of kept it more i think where she is stronger no, I can. I would not have phrased it that way. And in fact, hearing you phrase it that way, I felt was super insightful and like illuminated a lot of what I struggle with with her because I do think that overall she is a good actress. But I agree with you; she does not have a good power bitch yes. delivery. And this series, like the we're watching Sabrina's becoming yeah. right, and like if we're watching Sabrina's becoming serialized, she needs to have those moments of catharsis where she's like becoming this bad bitch leader and be able to deliver them like a drag queen superhero of the world something similar to um 
Lilith or no. uh, when she's indignant or Zelda. And I feel like I, I I agree with you. I feel like that's what she should be talking to her acting coach about yeah. in the office. Well, it's like you know, Sarah Michelle Geller doesn't doesn't have quite this doesn't have like a power bitch voice. I would say either. But I think what made her character work was the whole show was a subversion of the trope by landing all those moments with like teenage sarcasm, which Sarah Michelle Geller can do in her sleep. So even if they don't, I'm not saying you need to put Kiernan Shipka in a red wig and give her a little cigarette in a roach clip and have her imitate her aunt. You need to, if she can't do that same thing, she at least needs to find the delivery style that communicates the same energy. I agree. And I think there are lots of ways in which that can happen. She's not effectively doing it now. And they gave her fewer of those scenes this season. Which probably, I agree with you, it added a lot to the show. Instead, so, there's so much going on and she's reacting. and it, But, like, in a way that's engaging yeah. and dealing with shit. As opposed to, like, commanding. Also, I, she doesn't have, like, a commanding Yeah, I also think yet. they haven't figured out how to sexualize her yet. And that's a weird sentence to say, but go with me for a second. They're still dressing her very young. Like, the high-waisted schoolgirl skirts, the puffy sleeves, like... I, I never buy her chemistry. I didn't buy her chemistry with Harvey. And I didn't really buy her chemistry with Nick either. But they kept those scenes to a minimum this season. Like, all of their relationship conflict was, you were traumatized in a homoerotic wrestling match with my father, and that's what we're going to talk about. So that's fine. Um, I, I wonder if they'll figure out a way to make her explore those aspects of her character in a way that I'll find credible. Because right now, I just don't buy it when she's supposed to be hot for someone. You don't buy that the person is attracted to her? No, that she's attracted to them. That she's like... Oh, you don't see her as sexual. Not quite. And again, I think part of it might be the costuming choices since they are still dressing her so schoolgirl, even in her, like, civilian wear. I mean, a lot of what she's wearing is supposed to be, like, especially this season, they were like, this is what Sabrina wore in the comic books. Yeah. And we're just doing camp drag that is like bookish teenage girl who happens to be a witch from comic books from the 60s and 70s i think yeah that sounds about um, right. but that's what i'm saying and like, when they give her a scene where she's supposed to be just gagging for nick or there's supposed to be some tension with caliban like everyone kept reacting like she was supposed to be feeling something for caliban i'm like i don't see it i would give it to you if i were in the room because the man is obnoxiously beautiful but you know i wasn't buying it quite from her his accent went from british to australian over the course of the season and he is australian but it's like they like kept like it's like he (laughs) got more relaxed and like i feel like when we first meet him he is soundly like upper crust london and by like the end of the season he is like native australian accent i really wish they had leaned into that from the start because nothing would make nothing would make me happier than like the prince of hell being a surfer dude somehow that just tracks (laughs) i felt like that's what he felt like unapologetically by the end but he didn't he started out feeling like nebulous ethereal british accent blonde man and by the end it was like australian surfer who also happens to be a prince of hell um but i digress uh your comments on her sexualizing my genuine feeling is um i think that she and harvey had convincing enough chemistry her and nick a little less so i think part of the catering to the gay male gaze is like these men like they take that jean jacket they like in 
make him put it on inside out. They pan it, they take it to the sewing machine, and they put it on him. Kiernan Shipka is dressing like the comic book character in what feel like very draggy, costumey costumes of an idea of a teenage girl from the 60s in ways that I find super fun and retro and campy. And then the men are fuckable eye candy who are very attractive. And I feel like that is the um, delineation there. And I am here for it. Yeah, like, I, I'm not saying... They know me well. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying I need to see her character become more overtly sexual. I'm just saying if they want me... If they want to do that with her, they're going to have to make some changes. Maybe they don't need to do that at all, but then you could, you're you also free to not have her have a romantic interest for a season. You know, you can let it go. Okay. I don't think they need to do that at all. Hmm. I think it's exactly where it needs to be <laughs> for this audience overall. What did you think of the the homoerotic torturing of Nick and then the homoerotic bondage? I guess not really cheating because they're not monogamous, but whatever that was. The the little Marie Antoinette like bondage drag moment. Yeah. That was a lot. Like for a second you like for, for, for the first second I'm like, do they see it? And I'm like, oh no, no, they they see it. They they see it and now they're talking about it. Now they're making fun. Like when they had the weird sisters like explicitly mock him as if he were Lucifer's prison bitch. I'm like, oh boy, they are, they're digging in. And it's a little, it's a little weird. It's a little weird, but it was still yeah. hilarious to watch. <laughs> I, I felt a mix because it felt like they were trying to portray PTSD and him trying to act normal and like it had not changed him and just like resume his life. And Sabrina attempting to do that, like, for his good. And I thought there was some, despite how ridiculous and unrealistic this show is, I thought there was elements of realism within that. Um, and that he was just changed and traumatized and, and struggling. I thought the manifest, and I, I thought the weird sisters teasing him for being Lucifer's prison bitch was, like, realistic and ter- terrible within that the confines of yeah, that world. yeah. Um, but I, I found the Marie Antoinette bondage pair, one of both Dorian Gray thing, like a very fun way to bring that whole vibe and feeling into this world. Um, and I thought the one scene where, where Sabrina and Nick argued about it, it was interesting that they kind of had him brooding and conflicted and like sexually devious. And then they had like a scene where you had like a three minute dialogue that was basically like, and I did this for you and you weren't worth it. That was like, oh, okay. We're, we're, we're going to give him, he's going to spend season three naked or in tailored sheer clothes, engaging in sexual acts or looking brooding. And then we're going to give him a three minute monologue (laughs) about his feelings. I will say it was, it was fun watching character like all of the characters discussed his obvious trauma you know if with if not technical proficiency at least like it, it was the show's my age it was fun watching teenagers talk about like mental health and emotional well-being fairly organically as if it's just their default like it wasn't like someone had to sit them down and tell them he's traumatized here's what trauma is they're like i don't know we we know what PTSD is. We like, like it was. It was just like, oh, oh, right. This whole generation of people will grow up at least conversant in the vocabulary of mental health. What will that make the world look like? <laughs> Gen Z is a fascinating generation. There's like everything is Googleable. 
they know everything in practical ways. I, I, I don't know how creative they will be as a generation. I have a feeling millennials will rule content creation longer than one might expect. Because if anything, I think Gen Z is just going to be emulating what we do. But uh, I definitely, in many ways, the information age has, I think, is producing more practical teenagers. I'm really looking forward to season four. Yeah, I, I am looking forward to season four in a way that I was not, I wasn't like dreading season two. And I and I knew I would watch it eventually, but after season one, it wasn't high on my list. Now I'm like, oh yeah, give me, you are giving me exactly what I want. Slabs of man candy and high arch drag queens giving, g- g- doing like, you know, uh, Julia Sugarbaker's night, the lights went out in Georgia speech every fucking episode. Just... <laughs> And coordinated lip sync cheer routines every other episode. Yeah. Uh, I really want... <laughs> I want Zelda and Lilith to have to take a road trip. One, Like, I want one episode of the two of them, for plot reasons, have to go somewhere about six hours away by car. I want, And I want the camera in the car the whole time. <laughs> I love steering wheel acting. I love steering wheel acting. I love driving acting. And I, I want that too. There was one scene that they had where it felt like like two fighter fish entering the same tank. Like these are two alpha female bad bitches, you know, who have like an imperious energy and way of carrying themselves. I think something with the corsets they put them in um, (laughs) really just gives them sort of an architectural look to the way they carry themselves. I loved it. And I I would love, so you're talking about a road trip that would work. I think there's an even better plot where they really have to like engage with one another in a way that is like, alpha imperious alpha female who does not even consider she might be challenged encounters imperious alpha female (laughs) who also does not even consider that anybody else would challenge her power totally engaging in a way that is like come again bitch (laughs) i'm kind of curious if they'll go anywhere with the uh mambo marie plot because i was getting a vibe and i think they were consciously doing that like mambo marie oh yeah, yeah i mean they made out do they make out? Do you not remember I, this? I don't remember them making out. I remember they either them. they either made out or the, she had a dream of them making out. But I think they made out. The last episode. Wow, I can't believe you forgot that they like really put that weird sapphic energy between the two of them and like a you're of a different world of witchcraft and knowledge base. But like I respect you, your power and your knowledge, and like I felt like with each scene between them, it felt a little more. No, I agree. That's where they were going. I just remember them kissing. I'm have to, like, and sexual. Yeah, I'm just gonna have to run back to the. I'm gonna have to watch it again. Now. I mean, it was a deep and impassioned French kiss. That was like we're not like tacitly pecking each other in the cheek in a way that's like, huh? It was like that is a sexual kiss. I feel like I must have been refreshing my drink and I just looked away at the wrong moment. Okay, I'm gonna have to go back. And it was either it was either for real, which I think it was. Or it was like one of those moments where it's like, this was a dream sequence that somebody had in this concluding episode moment. Okay. But that obviously feels like foreshadowing. Yeah, I'm yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure it was. And to me, somebody might be like, well, that's totally different. Not on this show. Not on this show. That's foreshadowing. Like, it, yeah. it's one or the other. And to me, the difference is negligible. She's definitely, like, her, I don't know that actress, but her casting was announced in a way that she's like, I think she came in at the end of season three to be a main character in season, season four. four yeah 
but yeah, overall, really enjoyed it. Um, all of my... Th- this does what good TV does for me, which is I have questions and critiques, but I don't really think about them until the show is over. The experience of watching the show is just a fucking delight. And that, I, I agree. That matters. Like, every show I've loved, ha- no show ever is perfect. There's always, you know, some narrative convenience to contrive, some character choice that feels out of pocket. But if the experience of watching it keeps you entertained and engaged enough, you don't really think about them until you're talking about it later over text with your friends, which is fine. Like, the show, the, the four walls of this show contained and kept me completely enthused for for the two days I binged the two seasons. <laughs> yes, and a show can also have flaws and still be very good. Um, and I, I don't know, in some ways I feel like I'm... Um, I feel like I used to love so much melodrama or, like, moody, dramatic realism in television, and I feel like I've moved in a direction where unapologetic camp like this that then has moments of an emotional vulnerability in a situation and setup that feels, you know, absurd and fantastical, but is very well acted, I'm here for. Like, I'm not saying it's great or that the world building or internal logic of everybody is great, but I think if you let go a little bit um it's highly entertaining for what it what it is yep and it's also nice to be catered to it just is like like this is a show very consciously aware of what i want to see and then gives it to me and it's nice to be centered like that sometimes yeah i i did not watch spartacus but i've gathered that seasons three and four of spartacus also were like do you want to see naked men all of the time but i other other than that, I cannot think of a show that's so unapologetically like, what do gay men like? That is what season three will be in all of the ways. And that was clearly their intention. Right down to the creepy, sexy, mysterious ringmaster circus subplot. Like, that is so campy. I feel like that's a thing that, like, gay people would love as a subplot more than straight people generally. Like, Yeah. All right. Um, and... With that, let's take a break and transition into talking about AJ and the Queen. Hi. We don't have any sponsors yet, but I just wanted to take a moment to talk to you about Fiber for Bottoms. I believe it was the great English adventurer Winnie the Pooh who once said, If you stick your hand in the honeypot, sometimes you're bound to find bees. But rest assured, Fiber for Bottoms is here to evacuate that problem from your life. Like the forthcoming environmental catastrophe or a terrifying alien invasion, Fiber for Bottoms is determined to eliminate your native bee population. The proprietary blend of chia, flaxseed, and celia husk will gather all those bees up into one massive salubrious swarm and push them out of that black hole and into the stratosphere, turning that black hole pink honey and leaving you with the sweetest honey pot in all of West Hollywood. So don't be a dirty little piglet. Exterminate those bees and keep that honeypot sweet with fiber for bottoms. Today, we're talking about RuPaul's Netflix show, AJ and the Queen. Where do we begin? What are your thoughts? Um, okay, so we're the right age. We, we watched Sex and the City when it was on and what constitutes our formative years. So when I caught the name on the writer, the writer's name, I'm like, ooh, I bet this will have a lot in common with Sex and the City. And boy, did it ever. Uh, starting like, like right from the first episode, I think my... I'm a Miranda, by the way. Go on. 
we're all we're all Mirandas. We're Scorpios. They don't let you be a Scorpio unless you're a Miranda. I don't think you can even be named Miranda unless you're a Scorpio. There are rules. Um, so in the first episode, it sets up the idea that Rue is leaving behind her old shitty club to open her own club. That club is the nicest fucking club I've ever seen in my life. Like, she's yeah, like, it was massive. The dressing room was like a ballroom. It was, it was the, insane. It was bigger. It was like the workroom on Drag Race. It comfortably fit 12 queens. I'm like, that stage was a literal runway. I could have landed a Cessna. Um, and like, when they were making it rain, I'm like, did you get that 100,000 this week? It, it's just one of those like, it didn't occur to you that be, it, somewhere in the process of making the show, the person who was responsible for the line, I'm leaving behind this shitty club, and the person responsible for making the club never had a meeting. And it's that was that was kind of the flag from jump where I'm like, oh, they're just going to say things and we're expected to nod. That was that was like the, the first red flag for me. <laughs> Just like Elizabeth Warren, she's coming on hot this episode. Um, yes, I agree. Uh, so my feeling on Michael Patrick King is he had a great source material and a great writer's room. And everything he has done since Sex and the City has proven to me that the, while tonally problematic through a historical lens, the genius of Sex and the City for the time, was luck more than anything. I've watched Two Broke Girls. There are good things to it, but it is flawed. Um, it does not surprise me that this is a project that RuPaul and Michael Patrick King would have paired up on together. That said, I agree with you. I was, I, I'm going to be perfectly honest. I sort of expected when this was announced and sort of the broad plot that it was going to be a very like, let's turn to Wong Fu thanks for everything Julie Newmar into like a serialized show with RuPaul and a kid and a colorful cast of drag queens who I anticipated to play more central roles episode to episode. And honestly, I thought it would be charmingly cliche. Like just unoriginal thought after unoriginal thought that's heartwarming and affirming. And we were nowhere near that lucky. Um, it, yeah. it didn't, it attempted to be those things in many places and it never stuck the landing or earned any of the emotion. It like, I, I struggle, especially in this le- election season, um, being a gay man who is critiquing another gay man in ways that are unreasonably harsh. Um, and I just, I cannot find much nice to say about it i did watch the whole thing but it is it is challenging to find a nice thing to say about this i mean yeah i watched the whole thing while like doing other things actively i mean here's the thing with the tonal the tone is really the the base problem for me where it's like you're right i I was kind of expecting heartwarming road trip where they bicker, then they become friends, then there's a misunderstanding, then they become better friends, and that's fine. Like, perfectly valid plot. But it kept, like, winging back and forth between wanting to be, like, this heartwarming Lifetime movie, but then also this, like, gritty, realistic action thing. Where It's like, by the time we got Tia Carrera and Josh Zagara chasing them with the intent of killing or maiming them, I'm like... No, 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 no. To steal the money back, to do so, like, you had to give the bad guys an equally wacky goal, 
and not having it just radically shifted. Like if you think yeah. if you think like Tu Wang Fu, the bad cop was basically looking to arrest them for kneeing him in the balls. Like yep. the threat he presented was not was not high. It was there. It was an impulse for the movie, but it, he wasn't hunting them down to kill them. It just it it paints everything in this weird back and forth of like, well, you're making jokes that she's like that she sells knockoff silicone, but then also dead people. It just you can't have it both ways, and they just could never decide which one they wanted to be. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I what's funny is um, so let's take it back. I feel like I love that we both started off like. Let's vent. It's been a month. Um, I feel like the funny thing with the pilot is they cast a bunch of very good actors doing a good job with a bad material who were acting very well against RuPaul, who you could see really struggling to remember and deliver the lines. And it was the kind of thing where it was like, oh, RuPaul can't act. Now I know RuPaul can't act. And the fact that the cast is otherwise very good actors doing very mediocre, if not bad work, only highlights, oh, Rue can't act and she's surrounded by people who can, which only highlights how much she can't. Ah, it was rough. No, yeah, yeah. Rue is clearly not, you know, taking a Meisner class recently. Um, like the, the best friend who was blind, very good actor, very good performer. Yep. Very good actor. I do question in this day and age... Having a non having a sighted person play a blind person and lean so much of the humor on it, like that was like one yep. of those like you can't see me, you can probably hear me sucking air in through my teeth, but you know just like it's not the non-blind person playing a blind person; it's the extent to which they had a lot of humor that was about like blind person about being blind and the comedy of not being able to see so something funny happening that felt eventually like it was punching down. And being blind because of diabetes. Like, that, th- there was a lot of that in there, too. Like, this this feels like a joke from a different era. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that can be said of much of the show. It feels like a joke from a different era altogether. One thing that I will say that I think was very positive about it was... RuPaul obviously got dragged for some of the comments on having trans women appear on RuPaul's Drag Race in the past and has apologized and spoken to that. It's very clear to me that by having AJ have multifaceted feelings about their gender, uh, that RuPaul was attempting in that subplot to apologize or at least speak to that in saying, like, I moved you from one box to another. I'm not... I mean, do I think it added a whole lot to the show? Not really, but also I think, like, it was heavy-handed at the three points where it was, like, a central discussion point that I felt like, in its own way, it was Rue's apology. And I appreciate that for its intentionality, if nothing less. I, I get that, but it it did, like pull my ear weirdly like it was like yeah i like i was i made notes i have notes that i'm reviewing right now um in that episode like i think it's like they're on the turnpike to pittsburgh and they have a conversation i'm just like rue shouldn't try for for modern gender vocabulary just just this is this would be a great example of the show me don't tell me maxim of of the performing arts where all you had to do was make rue 
act well toward this person and not have to then have a very arch conversation about it because it was like, yeah, this this does not sound organic. I feel like it came up in three different points. And you're right. Nothing about this show felt organic. But I think, like, if that was something that was otherwise happening, I might feel that way, given how poorly this was written. And the fact that this conversation came up in three different contexts over the course of the ten episodes, I'm a little like, that's fine. You, you're obviously apologizing for this. You're ob- And speaking directly to it. It was, I mean, breaking through the fourth wall, whatever, but it's not like the illusion was very effective. Fair. Generally. How do, you, how do you feel about making AJ 10 as opposed to like 13 or 14? In terms of like a hero's journey and discovery and the trap, like I, I felt like the plot got a little hamstrung slash it increased the tonal dissonance. Like I could have accepted the slightly darker moments if the kid were a teenager somehow. Like that would have felt more credible then. I thought the kid was eleven, but also same point. I I think I think preteen is exactly when you want a kid for something like this because you want them old enough to be able to be like mouthy and saucy and pseudo adult while still having the feelings of this is a child. Um, oh, okay. And so I kind of feel like that's why people tend to gravitate towards ten to twelve for this sort of okay. role. Okay. Okay. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. I I think once a kid is a teenager, people tend to put a lot of adultness on them in these contexts. Okay, then once once the show hits the road, I I've, the the point about saying it's like Tu Wong Fu or its predecessor Priscilla Queen of the Desert, it really drives home why it's a better movie than a than a TV okay. show. Like, imagine if you tried to make a Tu Wong Fu TV series, like like the the scene where um. Wesley Snipes uh, bonds with the old lady over her stash of albums. That's like a nice five-minute scene. Everyone learns something. Everyone feels something. It's a nice moment. Imagine doing that for 55 more minutes. It doesn't work. Like, each one of these moments would have been a vignette in an hour-and-a-half, two-hour movie that, when blown up to an hour, are kind of insufferable. I feel that you are right overall. I agree with your assessment. That said, a competent writing staff that was tasked with, here's a collection of girls from RuPaul's Drag Race that have, um, that have you know, obviously large fandoms who will play guest roles. Please write a 10-episode serialized movie that or show that feels like that feels like Tu Wong Fu turned into a TV show. I think you can find an overarching season theme and peaks and valleys to make each episode engaging. I'm not saying like I, I agree with your assessment that it's a it's a better concept for a movie than a TV show. I think a different collection of people could have done this well. I expect I was expecting. Uh, to be honest, I did not think this show would be good. It was, but I did think it would be cliche and some of those cliches would be reaffirming. It was so much worse than I thought it would be. Yeah, I thought it would be enjoyably bad. Like like watching an acting challenge on Drag Race where it's like, I'm not here for the actual acting. I'm here for something. Like, I thought, yeah, I thought it would be fun. And maybe, okay. and the show lacked fun for me in several yeah. key places. 
And on that note, as we have both been mostly complaining about this show, and for not unwarranted, I do want to kind of pivot the conversation with that and ask, what was the most fun episode for you? What did you what did you enjoy about the show? Whose guest appearances did you love? What subplots did yeah. you like at all? I'm not saying there's a lot. I'm asking a lot of questions and I might get one answer. Okay, I'm going to say I liked the episode with Latrice. Uh, I, cause I, I loved Latrice and Monique. That is my answer. Go on. Yeah, I agree. They were they were a self-contained story. They were the most fun. Um, they were a little cavalier about being counterfeiters. That's that's serious business. Um, but beyond that, I kind of I like the story of just like Latrice living her life. I did find it fascinating that in all the flashbacks, like that was like Rue's flashback with her was not Latrice as a backup dancer. They were a sister act, and I don't think Rue's ever done that in life or in on on drag race where it's like i'm going to put another performer as co-equal to me unironically and it was kind of like that's kind of like a nod in a way i feel like like i I do not think of rupaul sharing the stage with anyone and uh their flashback to their number to the salt and pepper number was like wow that as i'm not saying it's not a compliment that latrice did not fucking earn but it was just it, it was like huh I don't think I've ever seen Rue do a duet before. <laughs> yeah, RuPaul is an unapologetic Slytherin. So, in a lot of ways, um, when when you get to brass tacks. Uh, the other thing I did, one moment that did actually straight up affect me. In the last episode, when AJ says, don't come with me because I don't know how he'll react to you. And Rue asks, then, why do you want to stay here? And she says, because I have nowhere else to go. And... You, I actually watched some real emotions play over Rue's face in that conversation because it felt the most anchored. It, it felt that it was the most organic conflict and it was painted in very clean lines. Like everything made sense for bo- the way both of those characters were feeling. And just from a purely dramatic standpoint, I'm saying one thing while feeling another thing. And I'm doing that because of my, how much I care about this other person. Like you could... I, I could see Rue sucking up how much that hurt, but doing it because she knows this this child is right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like that was like, wow, a real organic human moment that actually had some emotional stakes. I'm delighted. Uh that I yeah, was like, I, I was well done, guys. Well done. I, I do think RuPaul became a better actor over the course of the show. I think he has not really had something like this to do this level of work on before. And I feel like he got better such that by the end, I would agree he was delivering some things convincingly such as that moment. Um, Yeah, no, I I get that. Um, My favorite was definitely Latrice and Monique Hart, two queens I love. Those are absolutely two of my favorites. I definitely, they want, feel like they asked Monique to play like a crazy, like nephew that is, yeah, I'm not going to say too much more. Um, but uh, I feel like Monique was was hired to play a type that is like comedically basic in their needs and like endearingly terrible a little bit. Um, and did a good job. And Latrice was it was very fun to see Latrice as just like the big bad bitch, you know, like yeah. the mob boss drag queen. Um, I felt like that was very much the intention and. I enjoyed that thoroughly. Um, yeah, that was by far my favorite. I really liked the episode that had Katya and Jinx, but I, my honest feeling was I felt like they were casting ideas of the girls. 
yeah. as we know them as fans, and then they did next to nothing with those characters. I, I thought Jinx was so funny playing this, like, boozy, drunk, oh, there's a kid here, we've got burgers. Like, she was so good in that role. And I thought uh, Katya playing this, like, like Magda, this, like, Polish drag queen was funny, and he delivered his lines well and seemed present in them, but also I wish they gave them more material and it was more like Jinx being ridiculous on stage. Yeah, well, that was the episode, what was that? I think Pittsburgh... And they have that weird flashback to the Tina Turner fight, which just, like, typifies everything wrong with this show. It's like, first, bless Mario Cantone's heart, he doesn't make a good Tina Turner, and it's ridiculous He thinks that this character thinks he did. And the minute they're both on stage, you're like, nope, Rue's the better Tina, because obviously. So it's just one of those, like... It, it, it was the height of, we're just going to tell you what you're supposed to think about this scene rather than having any kind of careful construction that would make it happen in front of you. And it was, yeah. you you could have given me 10 more minutes of Katya and Jinx existing in exchange for that scene. Yep. That was a bad scene. It was uninteresting. I think literally having like Magda and... uh what was it, Edie? I love that they named Jinx Edie. Yeah. Um, you could have had a subplot of them having some weird conflict that resulted in interludes of them arguing that could have been a complete, like, Frasier, Shakespearean-style, like, <laughs> comedy of errors as, like, your subplot, as opposed to that Tina Turner trash. Um, yeah. It was... This show was so bad. And I feel like the two of them thought that they would be able to lean into cliches in ways that were affirming, and they... It, like, it's truly insane to me that they couldn't even stick the landing with the cliches that they were attempting to do with this. I also believe Rue, like, co-wrote this with Michael Patrick King. I just... I'm glad that Netflix greenlit a show with RuPaul. I think, like, RuPaul should have hired a writing staff that made sense for the material. Like, to provide material that was worth doing. Yeah, I'm looking yeah. at the rest of my notes and, like, it's just my complaint about each of the remaining episodes. Like, um, like... Oh, I Jinx... feel bad. I knew I knew the show was bad, but I thought we would be a little more... Well, they did this, they did this. Um, but it is just, like, it was comically terrible. Um, I enjoyed making fun of it while watching it. My husband, who will, like, hate watch things with me, made it through the pilot and was like, RuPaul can't act. I will not suffer another minute of this. Oh, we took out Buffy Cummers. Like we were gonna have we were gonna have her on with us and she could not. She watched the pilot and was like, Oh, I I can't do this. I can't do this, which I love. Yeah. Oh, we 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 can talk about one other what un unabashedly wonderful part of this show, uh, the ass in the last episode. The okay. the cop boyfriends, beautiful ass. Like, bless the casting director who who did that. Oh, the cop boyfriend cheating. Yeah. And the guy who's... Oh, God, how did I forget? Yeah, no, that actor is gay. He's a musical theater performer. I forget what his name is. I think it's Constantine something. Um, and <laughs> Of course he, it is. Yeah. He was cast as um, Hunter in the revamped Charm season one. He's like the evil brother who is, like, actually a demon of a character who is a half-demon. Yes, I like the new Charmed. And he's always wearing, like, a burgundy top coat with, a with like, an architectural, like, military collar that's up. And he is... 
He's fun and devilish in that. Um, the CW has really started casting a lot of handsome musical theater gays in a lot of their roles, in a lot of their shows. It's not just, like, former Abercrombie models. It's also musical theater gays. Um, and I could tell that he is, like, in the middle of a bulking cycle because he looked about 20 pounds thicker on AJ and the Queen than he does in Charmed. And I'd say about 10 of those were in that beautiful ass that was prominently featured that is the most gorgeous ass i've ever seen on a man and i have seen a lot of man men's asses in my lifetime yeah it's a it's a substantial data set and it's it's right up there oh ridiculous just truly the best thing about this whole show was getting to see his yeah even just getting to see his ass was good um I, I saw Josh Sagara playing Emilio Estefan in the musical about Gloria Estefan, and I got to see from the first row, and he wore, like, 70s short shorts the whole show. Beautiful thighs in person. Um, but yeah, again, but again, also tonally a little weird. Like what? It, it just like what was tonally a little weird. Uh, the the man ass. Like the rest of the show is not one that contemplates the most beautiful ass you've ever seen. But then here it is. It's like, what show are you writing? Who is this for? Oh, I di- I disagree with that entirely. That's that's wrong. Like like HBO shows it matter-of-factly had a happening upon sex happening moment and it like catered to the gay male gaze comfortably, <laughs> which is something I anticipated the show would do at least once and did twice. So, um so are we done with the ass or do you want to... There no. were articles written about it in The Advocate and Out that were like, this is the most beautiful ass we've ever seen on television. And yeah. that star who had almost no followers on Instagram at that point, like, repost them several <laughs> times. I think he's like, this is my big break. <laughs> um, <laughs> good for him. I, I like him on Charmed. He did a good job. Um, and he's been in a bunch of stuff on Broadway and like, supporting roles. So Josh Segaro's character's sexuality and con man arc the premise of the boyfriend and the still being in love with the boyfriend and like how real was this emotional intimacy etc was um you know not well done but i am curious what your thoughts are surrounding the sexual identity of this man who seems to be a con artist of like desperate older gay men yeah who are kind of easier to fool. Um, I feel like I've known many... I, I mean, anybody I know who falls into a category like that or is like a masseuse who sometimes charges more for like a neurotic massage or something is pretty comfortable with the situation as is and doesn't think of... Like, doesn't have hangs, hang-ups on homosexuality, doesn't have weird conflict about like some emotional authenticity that they feel in the moment um so to me it felt like the most unrealistic plot point that the show had oh yeah it it doesn't help that they had no chemistry at all like to the point that i'm like you're you're supposed to be at least faking it for ruse for for uh for rupaul's sake and i just didn't buy it at all i'm like nothing just nothing um, yeah, the weird assess like I read him as 
he was supposed to be someone who identified as straight and was just doing this for the money. The show also generally has a very um, one-dimensional and frankly outdated view of sex work for for all of its sex workers. Like, Yeah, no, uh, RuPaul really reminds us that he's a baby boomer from time to time. Yeah, it was like like the the male sex worker has to be secretly conflicted and evil, and the female sex worker is only doing it because she's a drug addict. And I'm like, that is that is not like like I'm not saying that those aren't real. I'm not saying there aren't people who do sex work under those circumstances. I'm saying the the image that that is all it must be is is a very '90s point of view. Um, so it, yeah, just red is like ugh, uncomfortable. Yeah, no, anybody I know who's even remotely sex work adjacent or have known or, you know, close friends or mutual friends, they're just really sensual, sexual people, and it's work that, like, suits them. Um, And I think that's a lot more often the case than these really problematic archetypes. Um, Yeah, no, it was was terrible. I thought, what is it, Josh Segaro? Segaro, yeah. Sagara, I thought he did a very good job with the shitty material he was provided and was supposed to be like, uh, I would be attracted to this sleazy man who is nonetheless effectively telegraphing a level of sleaziness. Like, I think he he did a good job with shitty material. Yeah. Uh, it was fun to see Tia Carrera get work again. I, I've liked her since Wayne's Same. World. You know? Same. Get your life, girl. I hope, I hope you redid your bathroom or something with that check. Um... Speaking of women I love, uh, can we let... Okay, Jane Krakowski is a very funny woman of many talents. Can we let her not be Jenna Maroney just once as a treat? I agree. (laughs) I mean, I feel like she's that comedic timing is something that I understand if you're looking for that kind of character, you call her. It would be nice if people gave her phone calls in addition to those phone calls. Yeah, yeah. Like, like between Jenna Maroney and her character, Jacqueline on Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, it's like, I mean, there are worse, I suppose there are worse stereotypes, and it's not like the, they're, they're never gonna not need her character in something. So, you That's know. true, that's true. <laughs> so, girl, you have her, a career, her, but... <laughs> her character on Ally McBeal was not the same, but called on some of the same comedic timing yeah. capacity, for sure. Um, and it was similarly like a, an idea of a person that is a little nuts and uh, attention obsessed more than anything. Um, but strangely, in my adult life, I have had the the secretary who also does a bunch of musical theater stuff in the city who occasionally makes the whole team go to their show <laughs> and is like attention hungry and kind of crazy. That was an archetype on that show that just seemed like nuts. And we all go out for drinks at this lounge across the street after whatever on Ally McBeal. Like, that's the kind of thing that seems just absurd. And so it is funny to me that I have been in a work situation that was not that different from that. <laughs> and with a crazy person who has since left the company. <laughs> Do you have any concluding thoughts on AJ and the Queen? Just, uh, I felt the ending was very Watch Season 2. The, I... I I've started to feel this with a number of shows in this golden age of streaming television, but I I understand if you're telling a broader story, if all, if each episode has to contribute to the bigger story, I, I get it, I do, but that but still each unit of entertainment still has to be its own discrete piece. So like 
Rue running into the field, the mom getting there, the kid having a meltdown, all of that is the climax to a denouement that should have taken place in the episode. Um, even if you know a season two is coming, you literally stopped the story with no meaningful resolution, and that just annoys the hell out of me nowadays. I get it. I I don't know if Netflix has renewed this for a second season. I think a lot of people watched it and will not watch season two. So something tells me they know they should be like, and we're going to leave it right there. But we'll see. There'll be a movie. I, I, I'm, not sh- <laughs> I'm not sure I will be watching season two uh, without you asking to podcast about it. Because season one, I had fun hate watching. I did. I made it fun. It was a cocktail hour by myself yelling at the TV like the crazy, crazy old man I am. But uh, for ooh, me, I, I, I yelled loudest during the weird boob plate plot. A phrase I never want to say again. That was that was when I was the drunkest and loudest at my television because that was just strange up and down the board. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, also, the the one episode that was clearly shot on the WB lot where they shot Gilmore Girls, where there was the sad older gay with the um, was it a Diana Bob, Ross the, the the Bob Mackie Bob Mackie. Oh my god! I, I can't believe we didn't <sighs> talk about this. I feel so bad for that guy because he has a similar role on Grace and Frankie where it's like his job is to be like middle-aged, bitter gay. And I've seen him be funny in other stuff. So he's just gotten pigeonholed as like the person who looks like they just sucked on a lemon with their soul. And I don't know what it is, but it's not as funny as a lot of writers seem to think of this like prissy, uptight, actually unpleasant, not like fun and catty gay where i'm like why do you keep writing this character so my feeling is we all have a lot of collective gay trauma i know the gay rights movement has made a lot of strides in the past past two decades but like i mean overall we all have a lot of collective gay trauma he is i think he's more like 50 something um and i think that growing up then it was a life where if you were the type of gay man who was obsessed with Bob Mackie, that was a thing that you could celebrate with very few people and you weren't really allowed to be yourself. And so you were, you know, anal retentive, uptight, organized, fastidious. The dream life I would love to have is is a thing that I know I could never have or be. And I feel like he does a good job of playing that um, the tragedy of that in his uptightness so well and i think that that is um so fucking real but also so depressing and upsetting that like i know that archetype and he is a very very bitter and unhappy person oh no i'm not and just for I'm... me watching it so i'm not arguing with you okay. for me watching it so well portrayed was like ha huh, ha huh, this is real this is i remember in my 20s dating a few like not very happy Gen X gays and it kind of being like, whew, you are married to that bitterness, aren't you? And uh, parachuting out of there. Um, no, I, I agree. It's, it, it's credible, but it's also not funny. And the shows that Oh, keep, it's not funny at all. Yeah, the shows that keep producing this character seem to think it's funny. And I don't get that. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. All right. And with all of this piss and vinegar, I think we've covered... AG and the Queen in its, in its entirely. Sabrina was much more fun to talk about, but yeah. there you are. A good, a great show and a terrible show. 
Um, <laughs> and and cosmic balance is maintained. <laughs> and with that, thank you so much for for everything, Hersla. I always love to hear all your thoughts and opinions, <laughs> and you'll hear them whether you want to or not. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been Reading Drag Race. I'm Condé Nasty. I'm Hersla the Sea Bitch. Bye. Bye.